Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, the 4th of January. Happy New Year and good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. 2022 must be the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's a message from the World Health Organization that none of us are going to argue with. We must leave 2021 behind with sorrow and look forward to 2022 in hope. Director General of The Who, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. The World Health Organization has been consistent since COVID was identified over two years ago now. Who says we can beat this virus because we know what to do and we have the tools to get through the pandemic. What is unclear to me as we enter into 2022 is how we use those tools to actually end this. Um, I'm very hopeful into the third year of this pandemic that we could actually bring this virus under control. Dr. Maria van Kerkhoff there of the World Health Organization. I think we have real hopes of doing better next year. Irish-born executive director of The Who, Dr. Mike Ryan, advises governments to prepare because COVID-19 will be with us for some time. From alpha to beta, gamma, and from delta to omicron today, tomorrow the virus will bring even new challenges. We will see further variants and what we really need is to have more sustainable strategies that are agile and flexible and adjustable and scalable uh, and that we're not lurching from doing nothing to doing full lockdowns we seem to be in a, a cycle of uh, um, hoping that it's over you know putting our hands over our ears and uh, and then going from that sort of ignoring the problem to uh, shutting down society. That's Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health Organization. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, who's a Fine Gael TD for Mead East, joins us now. And good morning to you, Minister, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Indeed, government preparations for getting through the immediate challenge are underway. The three leaders that are meeting today, Michal Martin, Leo Vratker and Eamon Ryan. The Minister of Education is to meet with trade unions tomorrow to discuss the plans to reopen schools on Thursday. And as we've been hearing, there will be some resistance to that. There'll be a full meeting of the Cabinet, which you'll obviously attend on Wednesday. Never to meet on Thursday. And then I gather, depending on the advice that comes from Neffet, there may or may not be a meeting of the Cabinet uh, Committee on COVID-19, which you're also a member of, on Friday. 
Good morning, Michael. Hi, and, and Happy New Year to you and, and of course, to all of your listeners. Uh, I mean, look, you've just outlined what is going to be a, a very busy week and um, there's a huge amount of engagement happening. There's obviously been a huge amount of engagement throughout the Christmas period, but this week, uh, Cabinet will meet tomorrow. That will be on foot off. Um, our three leaders who are meeting today to discuss where we're at, to discuss how, uh, I suppose, things stand in relation to society as a whole. Uh, you, you just mentioned there, and, and we heard, obviously, the, the problem that has arisen where uh, societies are opening and closing. We're trying to respond to COVID. What we've always tried to do in this country and what we've seen for some time now uh, is that we don't want a lockdown. We want society to be able to continue. We want schools to remain open. We want uh, businesses to function. We want uh, you know, our trains to run and our, and our buses to be able to operate. So that is our goal. That is our intention looking into the new year while obviously being very conscious of the fact that COVID is going to be with us for some time. Um, so if, if I could say this at the very outset, because for me this is probably one of the most important messages that we need to continue to get across, and that is that our vaccination programme, that our booster programme is working. Not just in Ireland, if we look at across Europe, if we look at across the globe, those who have the vaccination, those who are getting the third shot or the booster are less likely to be seriously ill, they're less likely to end up in hospital and it provides that high level of protection. And for me, looking to the future, looking at our meetings this week, looking at our planning for the year ahead, that is a key factor. We need to make sure that people are being vaccinated. We need to make sure that they get the booster. Uh, We need to be able to respond quickly, obviously, if new variants emerge. Uh, and I think that's how we're going to keep things functioning. We're going to keep society open uh, and we're going to be able to, to get past this. And, and I am positive. And a lot of the, the voices that you heard there at the start, they're very positive for the year ahead. I am positive and I think we all need to remain positive. Re- equally important to say, though, Minister, I think you'll uh, agree that uh, the vaccines that we have at the moment, we're not designed for Omicron uh, and we're not uh, immune from contracting this virus if we have been vaccinated, double vaccinated or triple vaccinated for that matter. There's a quite a, a strong chance of catching COVID as things stand, but it's the severity of it that you're referring to. Uh, absolutely. But I mean, if, if we were to look at this time last year, the number of cases that we had versus the number of people in hospitals, the number of people in ICU, and you look at the significant increase in cases that we have now on a daily basis, and compare the number of people in hospital, the number of people mm. in ICU, it is hugely different. And that is because of the vaccination programme. So yes, people can still transmit it. And I have been asked the question, as have many people, why should we get the booster? Why should we get the vaccination if we can still get it and we can still pass it on? You're less likely to get it sick. You're less likely to end up in hospital. You're less likely to, to, to pass away. Um, or, or to die from COVID-19. So yeah. it's extremely important. But some will So uh, at the same time. Uh, and it's uh, down to the sheer scale of uh, this wave of the virus. Uh, the percentage will be lower, but it's a lower percentage of a much higher number of cases. So we're still going to have a lot of people who are sick. Uh, and what that means in reality, is still not yet known. We're a couple of weeks behind, perhaps, uh, the numbers of people who got it infected today. And we're not even on top of that. It's impossible to have any indication of how many people have COVID because it's impossible to get a test, as many people will testify. And it's impossible to know what impact this is going to have on the country and the economy because of the amount of people uh, who are off because they have COVID or who are off because they are close contacts. It's... About, what, 15% at the moment? 
Well, well, it, it's quite high. It's probably the highest that it's been ever in, in the two years, and we're going into our third year. What this means, I think, in general, is that we need to learn and we need to be able to live with COVID. So the vaccine programme is the most important thing here to make sure that people are not getting as sick and that the, you know, less people are sick, less people are ending up in hospital. That doesn't eradicate, it doesn't remove it from our society. So all of the other things that we have been talking about, you know, really back to the basics, making sure we keep our distance, making sure we wear our masks from crowded places mm. and, and in other places where it's, it's, it's essentially the law, making sure that we have cough get all of these things, trying to reduce it within our community, trying to reduce transmissibility. Um, it's all really important to mm. allow us to be able to live with this. But also, you know, look, we need to take on board new evidence and new advice. You've just talked about the fact that parts of our society are hugely under pressure because of the fact that people are close contacts, because they have COVID, because they have to isolate we have new information from the U.S. Centre for Disease Control, which essentially is suggesting that for your close contact, for you don't have symptoms, for you may have had COVID, but you don't have symptoms anymore, that that isolation period could be reduced. And, and I think we need to be... From 10 to 5 days, uh, I think is what they're saying in uh, America. If we continue as are with that period of 10 days isolation, uh, in the next week or, or two, could you envisage a situation where 20 or maybe even 30% of the workforce would be out of work? Well, I, I unfortunately, I think we'll probably be in a difficult position if that continues and if it continues at the rate that it has over the last few weeks. That's why I think we need to be pragmatic. That's why I, I, I'm assuming that at tomorrow's meeting we'll be discussing this, that we'll have an update uh, from our Minister for Health and others on this specific issue. Um, you know, we have to have guards on the streets, we have to have transport operating, we have to have people working in our hospitals, in our schools, uh, and obviously the, the isolation period is having a huge impact on that at the moment. In saying that, of course, everything has to be uh, underpinned by public health and we have to make sure that we're not just spreading this or allowing this to be more transmissible because of decisions that we take. So we need to take this on board. There is, you know, a decision that was taken over Christmas where we reach a crisis period where a particular sector, uh, you know, is at breaking point that a derogation can be applied. Um, This is where somebody is a close contact, where they don't have any symptoms, where the waiting period could potentially be reduced. Now, that has not been applied yet. It hasn't been applied across the justice sector. I'm not aware if it's been applied in other areas but that is something that is there and can be used if necessary. Um, so, you know, I, I think we need to be pragmatic, going back to the fact that the booster programme and the vaccine is vital. Mm. Learning to live with COVID is going to be important. We don't want to go back to a lockdown system. We've, we've seen other countries across Europe before Christmas having mm. to go into total lockdown. We haven't because of the fact that we've, we've tried to manage both, um, and that's the way that we need to try and continue, as well as, opening up society we hope as, as we, we we get our heads around this mm-hmm. and, and we become more flexible in, in responding to this as, you, as the terminology I think has been used. Do you believe Minister um, that there should be derogations? Do you believe uh, that it would be right to give derogations to some sectors? Uh, do you think uh, that it's possible in other words to make a credible argument that a nurse needs to isolate for less time than a waiter for example? Well, I, I think all of this needs to be done firstly in consultation with public health. So it's not whether somebody deserves it more than the other because the whole point of isolation is keeping people safe. Mm. 
So when they're, you know, when well, it'll be difficult to pe- so people want logical. I'm so, sorry, Minister, but people want logical arguments. Uh, uh, do you think that it's possible to make a logical, credible, credible argument in that sense that one person needs to isolate for less time because their work is so important than another person because their work isn't as important? Well, I, I think the way that we're looking at this is not how important somebody's work is because everybody has a part to play here and everybody's role is important, but it's whether a system in itself is not able to function or not able to work at, at capacity. So whether it's the guards and, you know, mm. I said this, we need to have guards in our streets, they need to be able to, to do their work. We need to have nurses in hospitals. We need people to be able to, to get food, to buy food, all of these things. If a system is so much under strain, that this is something that needs to be potentially looked at again only with the support and advice of public health, then that option is there. So that option has been provided. However, it hasn't been used yet because we haven't gotten to that point. I hope we don't get to that point. Are we we close to it? Are we close to it in terms of the administration of justice as minister? I'm sure you're very concerned that over a thousand Gardaí are out of work uh, because of COVID reasons. Well, what we've been able to do and what the Commissioner has managed very well throughout this pandemic through rostering, through uh, overtime, through managing the system that way is ensure that we have full operational capacity at all times. So even with those high levels of absenteeism, that's through general sickness as well, which I think we've seen a lot of this Christmas, COVID-19 positive, but also close contacts. The, op- the operational capacity has remained, but that's kept under constant uh, review, so keeping engaged with the Commissioner on that and obviously my own department. Um, if that changes, then obviously that's something that ha- would have to be looked at, but it hasn't applied yet. It hasn't applied across prison service, the, the court service or any other area of the justice sector, but all of this needs to be kept under review. What I'd go back to is the fact that I think we need to be pragmatic mm. with this new advice from the US Centre for Disease Control. Um, that advice has been given based on a gathering of facts, information, science, uh, how transmissible this new variant is, but also mm. how it's transmitted. And I think we need to take that on board because we are under strain. And it's not just Ireland. This is the case across Europe, across the world, where you have certain parts of society are, are really coming under huge strain. Okay. And do you think that we should be doing other things in tandem with that? For example, uh, delaying the reopening of the schools or have a staggered reopening, which uh, the ASTI Trade Union is suggesting, or cancelling uh, elective uh, procedures in our hospitals, which the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation are suggesting, or uh, getting better at uh, making sure that it's safer for children to go to school when they do go to school and providing the HEPA filter uh, which uh, have uh, been very slow in the coming. Well, maybe just to respond to our schools first, the intention is that our schools will open on Thursday. Today is Tuesday. The intention is that they will open on Thursday. And it's for a very simple reason. Um, we saw only yesterday a, a report which was produced from the Child Rapporteur outlining how damaging it is for our children to be out of school. And many of my colleagues have said this over the last few weeks in, in various different ways, but in order for children to be allowed to realise their potential, they need to be in school. And we take away from that every single day that they're not in school. And it's not just about their education, but their social development, their engagement with their peers, their their social skills. So every single effort is going to be made to make sure that our schools open on Thursday. And that means working with the unions. It means ongoing engagement with public health. It means looking at different contingency plans. So retired teachers, student teachers, SNAs, prioritising exam classes, all of this which has been done before. 
but also looking at HEPA filters where finance and funding before Christmas was provided to schools to be able to, to allow them to access these types of um, new technologies, I suppose, to, to make schools as, as safe as they possibly can be. But what we do know is that children are in school, they're in their pods, they're in their classrooms, they're with the same group of people. It has been safe and, and we've seen a marked reduction in particularly our younger age groups from the five to seven where it had been a problem prior to Christmas. So, you know, I, I appreciate we have to keep our teachers safe, we have to keep our staff safe, our children safe, but it is hugely damaging every single day that they're not in school. So the intention is that they would open and of course we'll get an update from the Minister for Education tomorrow. I mean, in terms of our hospitals, elective care, surgeries, you know, we, we've had to cancel them in the past. I think it would be hugely disappointing anybody who's either been waiting a long time or has had their surgery rescheduled a number of times to think that that might happen again. We have to do everything in our power to prevent that from happening, acknowledging that our healthcare teams, our doctors, our nurses, they're operating at 120%. They're at burnout. I appreciate that. So we need to do everything that we can to support them, to support the system, to increase the capacity so that this kind of thing isn't happening. Again, it goes back to how do we live with COVID? How do we keep our society functioning? How do we not go through it? You know, how, how do we stop moving from closures to stopping things to starting again because it's hugely damaging for, mm. for absolutely everybody. Yeah, and do you expect more of that uh, in, in the coming week? Uh, you're to get this uh, advice from Neffet on Thursday and uh, the subcommittee that you sit on, Minister, uh, will or may meet uh, on foot of that. Uh, is it possible, do you think, uh, that we'll be looking at new restrictions or old restrictions being reintroduced next week? Uh, that's not on the agenda as far as I'm aware but again NAFET have to meet on Thursday tomorrow I anticipate we'll discuss um, the advice that's come from the US Centre around the reduction of isolation periods schools reopening uh, where we are in terms of current data figures support for businesses all of the other elements that we discussed before Christmas following NAFET's meeting I, I anticipate but obviously there's no confirmation of that yet that we will have a meeting on Friday uh, and obviously we will respond but I think people have responded over Christmas to the measures that were put in place. I think people, you know, have, have reduced their contacts themselves. I think, you know, all of our hospitality sector, they have put fantastic measures in place to make sure that people are kept safe. Uh, and so I think we need to respond to the fact that people have responded and make sure that we're not putting in place further measures or restrictions, uh, that we're encouraging people and that we're making sure that the vaccination programme is available to everybody and that we're providing the support when necessary. So I, I don't anticipate any change in saying that, obviously, if something was to come out of the meeting on Thursday, we will, of course, take it on board and, and respond accordingly. Okay. Minister, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That's uh, the Minister for Justice and Fine Gael TD for me, the East, Helen McEntee. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, some people will find it a bit of a shock if uh, they go to buy alcohol in uh, the coming days. It depends on what you've uh, been drinking or what your tipple of choice may be. But if you buy what is or can be cheap alcohol, you could be in for quite a shock, as I say, with the introduction today of minimum alcohol pricing. The original government decision which approved the introduction of minimum unit pricing, set out that we would introduce it here only when a similar measure was introduced in Northern Ireland. And this was to allay fears that shoppers would simply cross the border to buy cheap alcohol if we introduced the measure unilaterally. My first task was to talk to our colleagues in Northern Ireland to see 
where they were at in their thinking. And I was fortunate that I knew Minister Robin Swan from a previous life in politics, so we were able to be frank with each other. And he let me know that he would not have the capacity to, to introduce minimum pricing in the immediate future. And I told him that I wanted to bring it in as soon as possible. And he was very supportive because he understood the value of the measure. Mm. That's uh, the Minister of State, Frankie Fien, who has uh, the responsibility of introducing uh, this legislation. He was speaking to Eunan McKinney of Alcohol Action Ireland on a podcast from Alcohol Action called The Alcohol File. Let's speak now with Eunan McKinney, uh, who's Head of Communications and Advocacy with Alcohol Action. A very good morning to you, Eunan, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, It's a, a, a bit odd listening to what the Minister had to say there uh, that the intention was always to do it uh, in tandem uh, with Northern Ireland when he's now decided to do otherwise and we have a situation where you could travel a couple of miles up the road and save 20 to 25 euro on a slab of beer. Yeah it's, it's obviously the minister has uh, has a much broader uh, considerations presumably he, he's trying to um, alleviate some concerns that may exist within particularly within border communities around around cross-border shopping. Um, but as he goes on to say, that unfortunately in the context of that simultaneous action, which was proposed in 2013 and agreed in 2013, um, you know, simply couldn't happen because the Stormont executive collapsed. And, you know, both administrations have recognised the value of MUP and indeed most recently Robin Swan has indicated that Northern Ireland will proceed with MUP um, but it won't happen now until after the next electoral cycle which is you know, the stormers elections in May. It's going to be very um, valuable for traders in the North isn't it? Not just those trading in alcohol. Well I think that you know we've discussed this in the past I mean there is about 450-460 million um, euros you know, spent on cross-border shopping uh, between Ireland and, and Northern Ireland. I don't have a figure for what the figure is on the opposite side, Northern Ireland into Ireland, but it's something probably similar. Um, and and we know from the CSO data that about 14% of that money uh, is spent on alcohol. So it's about $64 million, uh, every year. I don't see that changing hugely because the reality is that what's driving those uh, people across the border to do their shopping is a whole series of things which are much more complex and much more motivating than just the price of, of a slab of beer. I mean, you know, we know again from research that the AA done, the vast majority of people who do shop in the in the north do so for grocery goods, do so for clothing and do so for cosmetics. Mm, but and will more... Nothing, nothing, nothing that has happened today is going to change the dynamics in that regard. Will more people so, yes, go think, for I grocery clothing and cosmetics if uh, they can save €25 euro on a slab of beer? Two slabs well, of beer, point, two slabs of beer, you save €50, euro, three seventy-five, four slabs of beer and you've saved €100. Euro. Yeah, I know. But my point is like that we know that there is cross-border shopping and that is, is a fact of life. Mm. Um, but won't and, there be more? So, 
No, I don't think it will be. I don't think it will be. I, I, I mean, the CSO will be holds, you know, they were meant to hold the household budget survey um, last year, but COVID unfortunately delayed that. They're going no. to host it this year. And so we'll see. Um, but I, I, I really don't think that there's going to be a massive rush to get in the cars to buy a slab of beer. I just don't see it. I mean, I do understand and I absolutely appreciate well, that if you're running, if you're running an off license or a supermarket yeah. in, in Dundalk today, you're going to be thinking, well, I'm going to, I'm going mm. to lose some footfall. But what you're going to do is you're going to actually see less alcohol sales. And remember, I mean, mm. obviously I would say this, but the whole endeavour here it's a public health measure. We're here mm. to try and ensure that as a population, we drink a little less and a little less often. And I don't think people... Do that, I don't think people... Do that, yeah, uh, can, and can, that's an important message. Uh, absolutely, yeah. it's a hugely important message. But uh, will, it, will it work? Will it have the effect that you hope? It has worked. Or, or, it has worked everywhere. It has okay. But, but, I mean, it, it's very simple logic, is it not, Eunan? Uh, I mean, if you can get in your car and drive five minutes... Uh, up the road uh, and save 100 euro uh, yes. by buying four slabs of beer. Uh, it's, it's Maybe you don't want to do it, but you want to save the 100 euro. And now you're telling us that if you buy a coat, you can save more money and some makeup, you can buy some more money and get your groceries while you're at it yes. and you save and even more money. Uh, I mean, that that's really isn't going do, to... Mike. That that's isn't, what people do. That's what people have always But done. you're adding to that with this... <laughs> no, 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 we're not. What, yeah, we're, but what we're doing is... 100 euro is a lot of money to people, or 200 euro, or I whatever. I recognise that, yeah. absolutely. And mm. I know the value of money myself. I mean, you know, I'm just a simple worker like everybody else. Of course there's money to be saved, but that has always been the case for people who live in the border. Remember, sixty over 60% of our cross-border shopping mm. is done by people who live in the border. I know. That's for a very good reason. It's because... A, there's a currency difference. B, there's a VAT difference. And C, there's a significant cost of living difference. And which D, is what drives all the and money. D, yesterday you could buy a slab of beer for 18 euro today. <laughs> You'd be yes. spending yes, 42 euro on it. Yes, yes, I do recognise that. And that is the reality. But my point is that's not what's motivating all of the cross-border shopping. And I don't think it will endeavour to support more that's my point. Okay. I think people will continue to purchase their alcohol where it is convenient to them. And that's what the research shows. Mm. And this measure is endeavouring to try and ensure that in particular binge drinkers and particular people who mm. are high-risk users of alcohol will drink a little less. And, and if they drink a little less, we will see less people occupying public beds in our hospital mm. systems and hopefully in time we will see less people dying and, and that could very well be the day. that could very well be the case in Cork or Kerry let's say uh, that people will reduce because it's more convenient to buy in Cork and Kerry than to travel up to Newry or whatever uh, but it may not be the case locally and it will undoubtedly impact on local businesses here it will in the short term, but the whole endeavour, the whole endeavour, again, to remind people, and I don't want to be seen to be particularly harsh about this, but the whole endeavour here is to stop and, and to lessen the sales of alcohol. You know, we're, we're trying to reduce alcohol sales by 20% over seven years. That's the endeavour of the public policy. So we make no apologies for that. 
people who sell alcohol are going to see less business. Yes, absolutely. Because we were trying to get her into a situation where people across the whole of the population are drinking less because this is costing us, three, to remind mm. people, it's costing us 3.6 billion every year to manage the health costs around the endeavour of yeah, excessive alcohol. And don't forget about all the revenue that's raised from the sale of alcohol. If that money goes north of the border, it'll go uh, to uh, the health well, service just, in Northern I, Ireland. I just said that. We know that $450 million mm. go across the border and mm. cross-border shopping. And $64 million of that is actually spent on alcohol. Mm. But to remind people again, the value of the market for off-trade supermarkets, convenience stores, local shops... That market in Ireland is worth 2.6 billion, 2.6 billion mm. euros. So we're talking now. We're now we're now dancing on the head of a pin over 64 million in a market that's 260 million. Mm. Like it's a, this is a massive market. Um, yeah. Well, and, and the benefit the benefit is a public health benefit. Well, there's a, a different benefit point. in the north of Ireland. Uh, I'm sure where traders are rubbing their hands together. Okay. Well, I think we'd be rubbing our hands together when we see less lives lost because of alcohol harm. Okay, well, uh, time may prove you right, and let's hope that is uh, the case. But we leave you leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed Thanks, for joining us as always. Una McKinney is head of communications and advocacy with Alcohol Action Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, I think it's true to say that not everybody agrees with Eunan McKinney of Alcohol Action Ireland. Uh, well, maybe they do because I think Eunan recognised, in fairness to him, uh, that this will have some impact, at least in the short term, on local trading. Uh, let's speak to Paddy Malone, who's the PRO for Dundalk Chamber of Commerce. And a very good morning to you, Paddy, and so thank you indeed uh, for joining us. We're going to talk about the shop local gift vouchers in a moment, uh, but whilst we're on the subject of shopping locally what do you think the impact of minimum alcohol unit pricing is going to have on trade locally and not just the sale of alcohol can you hear me oh hello paddy i can hear you now yes yeah uh, if you remember we actually spoke about this last september and, and a couple of times before that as well look this uh to do it unilaterally with not with the north not coming on board at the same time is going to make significant damage to the local economy for the Lindock region and the whole every um, The problem is people will go to Newry to buy cheap alcohol. They're not going to then say, well, we'll do the rest of our shopping uh, back in the marshes or back mm. wherever. Even Especially if you can get savings on other things anyway. I mean, if you can get a, a winter coat cheaper in the north uh, whilst you're up buying slabs of beer and saving 20, 25 euro per slab, you might as well buy the coat there while you're at it. Well, I'll argue with that. Paddy, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Paddy, the, the, the line is uh, failing us here somewhat. Uh, we'll try and improve on that. Okay, I'll try and <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Is, is that better? Okay, yeah, we, I can hear you perfectly there, yes. If you st- yeah, st- stand still and hold on to a lamppost. Right. <laughs> okay. No, listen, I think the is, as you said, people are not going to go up and do one piece of a shopping they're going to do significantly others. So they're going to be quite considerate to the region. We had argued very strongly. We saw that when the government brought, introduced the same thing with the suffering that common sense that they did it together, the UK and the Irish government being in tandem. It's a pity that uh, arguing against what Union has said. Uh, I want to make that absolutely clear. The Chamber has no problem with this. Mm. Problem, uh, and 
proper responsibility is critical. But if you leave the back door open, and then it's going to be damaging. So it's not just the smuggling, it's not just the, the fact that people will be encouraging our and the supply illegally. It's, as you said, it's ordinary Joe Soaps, it's the ordinary people who are up in, up in your buying a weekend shopping and they're going to then use it. Uh, they're not going to go back into the dark or mm. back into drawer a couple of hours later. It's not going to happen. So yeah. it's going to distort trade and everything that distorts trade is bad. Uh, and people do want to support local traders. That's they clear do. from uh, the amount of vouchers that have been sold. A record number. Record number. We about 1.2. We were hoping for 1.2. Look, we're 1.3, maybe even we've been higher. Uh, it's up on it's up on every year. So we've been doing this now for six years, and we've in, we've we've got over a million out of, out of the last. It's growing by strength, by roughly speaking, fifteen percent increase every year since started. Talk about like we were best the first year when we did a half a million, and here we are now talking about 1.3 million, nearly three times as much. So to all our all our people in Dock and in the surrounding areas for supporting us. Uh, I mean, we sell it out as far as. Uh, village and Catford and other spots. So it's great to see so many local businesses chipping in. Buyers getting the message it's the right thing to do to encourage local people to, to shop local. So um, it's a win-win area. It's great news. Mm. It's a very positive start to the year. Um, and long may it continue because it looks like it's going to be another difficult year. Okay. Uh, Paddy, the line is very bad, uh, but uh, thanks uh, for bearing with us and uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. I think uh, at this time uh, it is particularly important uh, that people do continue to support local shops and local trade and uh, it's uh, something uh, that they can do through these vouchers, uh, whether it's to give to somebody else or whether they shop locally themselves, uh, but they can be used right across Dundalk uh, and uh, it's environs, whether that's in toy shops or supermarkets markets, restaurants, hair salons, uh, beauticians, clothes shops and so on. Uh, you can get them uh, in a number of shops uh, in uh, the town, uh, Granson, uh, St. Michael Smith's and Francis Street, Central News, Clumbrassel Street, Central Black Rock, Sheelands Riverstown, Finnegan's in Loud Village, Flanagan's Mace on the Dublin Road, Pat's Gift Shop and Victory Centre in Dunleer, Valentine Centre in Carlingford and Luck and uh, Dundalk Credit Union Market Street as well as the Ramparts uh, or on Line at www.shop, I beg your pardon, shoplocal.ie. That's one word, shoplocal.dundalk.ie. And our thanks to Paddy Malone, who is uh, the PRO for Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. Now, let me bring you some of the comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning. The first uh, text of this new year came to us from Kate this morning. Thanks, uh, Kate, uh, for your message about the price of alcohol. She says, This is another way for the government to get more money from us. They've literally closed the pubs so our social outlet is gone. I enjoy an odd glass of wine at home watching a film. My wine used to cost 4 It was my little weekly treat and there is no way I can afford €7 Euro plus 
per bottle. This government has the country destroyed, Kate says. Quite a, a number of people in touch about uh, the minimum pricing on alcohol today. Uh, Mick and Kells, thanks for your text as well. He says, what about the price of beer in the pubs? 4 60 for a pint of Guinness, five twenty for a pint of Carlsberg. No wonder they don't open till 6 in the evening and no one in them. Uh, thanks, uh, Mick, for that. Eric says, instead of rising the price of alcohol, the government should reduce the amount of the alcohol content in beers, spirits and lagers and leave the price the same. That's a, an interesting suggestion. Uh, thanks, Eric. Uh, I think the point is that it would be more affordable. I, I, I think uh, it's probably what they are doing uh, in that uh, the increases on per unit of alcohol. So you'll see some beers costing more than others because they're stronger beers or wines or whatever the case may be. But Eric, thanks uh, for making that point. John is in Duleek and John was on the phone to us today. He says he was just listening to Minister Helen McEntee talking about the precautions that we all have to take. We're doing our best, but the pubs were jammed over Christmas. They may have had their hours reduced, but they were still jammed. St. Stephen's Day with the racing, they were busy. The pubs were packed, but we were nearly afraid to do a bit of shopping. Thanks for that, John. I'm not sure if that's right or wrong because I haven't been in a pub for a long time, uh, truth be told. Uh, I'm not sure what your experience has been if you've been out and about over the Christmas. Maybe you'd like to tell us uh, how you felt about it and uh, if... Uh, you developed COVID over the Christmas because so many people did uh, how you think you might have caught it uh, because so many people seem to be saying uh, that they think they have COVID or they might have COVID but they haven't been able to get a PCR test to confirm it it's something that uh, you might want to share with us uh, in terms of your own experience as usual we'd love to hear from you Stephen is in Drogheda Stephen was on the phone to us today and he says that he would have thought that it would be more important for a hospital worker a nurse, for example, uh, to isolate for the full amount of time because they're going to go into work and they'll be working with vulnerable vulnerable people who could die if they catch the virus. That's uh, one of uh, the considerations, no doubt, that they'll be taking into account. It seems all but certain at this stage uh, that uh, the isolation period is going to be reduced from 10 days. It could be to seven days, it could be to five days, which is uh, the example that uh, we're going off from America, it seems, at the moment. Uh, Let me bring you one more comment uh, before we go to the headlines. Seamus is in Dundalk and he's been on the phone to us and Seamus says he thinks that the battle has been lost and we're all going to get COVID. God, I hope you're not right, Seamus. And I'm not going to argue with you, though, because it's like wildfire. I think it's impossible to know uh, how widespread it is at the moment because so many people can't get tested. He says the Omicron variant is spreading like wildfire. The government should have acted over the Christmas period when cases spiralled, but they were worryingly quiet and our only hope is the vaccines and by having them that people won't get too sick. Thanks, Seamus, as I say, for your call to the programme. Michael Reed on LMFM. 2022 begins as uh, 2021 ended, it seems, with Brexit continuing uh, to make headlines with uh, risk to power sharing in the North and indeed uh, as a result of uh, that, the peace process uh, at uh, risk for that matter. Thomas Byrne, Minister for European Affairs and Fianna Fáil TD for me, these joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Minister, and thank you indeed for joining us. Well, uh, it seems as though we've lost the line. Uh, 
uh, to the Minister. We'll uh, try and restore that line now. Uh, but uh, the North's First Minister, Paul Given, has said that it is inevitable that Stormont will collapse if issues around the Northern Ireland Protocol are not resolved and uh, this has led uh, to a lot of concern indeed uh, some uh, response uh, from the European Commission uh, to what uh, Paul Given had said to to the BBC Uh, the DUP leader Geoffrey Donaldson continues to threaten bringing down Stormont unless the protocol and the border in the sea is removed. The Minister is back on the line with us. Minister, good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. I suppose it's the same old story, isn't it, to some degree? Uh, do you expect there to be progress? Well, it is the same old story, but I suppose with some changes too. Um, first of all, the issue of medicines, I think, is off the table now. The Commission made announcements there at the end of last year on medicines. That's obviously a, a very important issue. We always said there would be there would be no issue with medicines and there will be no issue with medicines. That's uh, certain now. Uh, so that's happened. Uh, David Frost has moved on as well. Uh, that's a change. We are still dealing with a British government, so it's, it's not just about the personalities. But uh, I think, uh, I have to say, I know the Minister Colby spoke to Liz Truss and I indeed spoke to her last month as well. Um, she's very familiar uh, with the situation in Northern Ireland and quite frankly as well on her desk in the Foreign Office, there's a lot of other issues which are of really greater significance uh, for Britain and the wider world. Uh, so I would expect that, and I would hope, uh, the British government will adopt a pragmatic approach along the lines of what the Commission has done, which is not to do with ideology or politics, but rather listen to people on the ground as to what the issues are, uh, deal with the medicines being the first one, and let's hope we can get some progress on the whole issue of customs. Um, but the Commission has made good proposals because that's actually where the, the unionist problem really lies. I think if you, if you speak to any unionist, mm. uh, they don't like the idea of these customs checks. So the more we reduce them, uh, the better, uh, I think, from their point of view in terms of making them feel uh, more comfortable with the protocol. Yeah, well, they'd say otherwise, of course. Uh, the protocol has to go, uh, and that's the argument. But are, are, are we dealing with uh, electioneering rather than real negotiations? Well, of course, there is electioneering, and every party will always be guilty of electioneering. Um, but anyone who's electioneering will also be looking at what the people of Northern Ireland are saying, and the majority of them actually, um, is, you know, in, in, there's a broad swathe of opinion, first of all, that wants the, the government, the power-sharing government to stay in place. So anyone that brings that down, I think, would pay a very serious electoral price, and I think politicians know that. But also, uh, there is more and more support as well for the protocol, uh, and also people see the reasonableness of what the European Commission has proposed, uh, and they're also starting to see now the benefits. We've seen Almac, a thousand jobs. We've seen the Canning Company in Lisbon, uh, hundreds of jobs. We've seen Norbrook and Newry saying uh, the protocol is hugely beneficial for them. Uh, there'll be lots of people in this area working in Norbrook, I'm sure, as well. Um, so so this is this is very important. That people are seeing that. So, so I would be less worried about the political consequences because I know that any politicians who are threatening things on politics would be looking to what the people are saying. The politicians always do that. Um, and I, that, that gives me some more confidence. But look, we have to get these things uh, wrapped up, I think, by the end of, by the end of next month um, to give that certainty that we've spoken about that's starting to come into the situation in Northern Ireland, but also to make sure that this is not a topical issue at the time of the election, that things are bedded down and that we have arrangements in place which are to the reasonable satisfaction of a broad swathe of opinion of Northern Ireland. Mm. Is that possible, uh, given what the DUP is saying? Uh, and... Uh, they're talking about collapsing the power sharing uh, agreement if the protocol isn't uh, taken out of uh, the Brexit arrangement. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, look, the, the first thing I'd say is the protocol is staying uh, it's an international agreement, and I think I think everybody really, in, in terms of both both sides, the British government mm. accepts that now. The Irish government, of course, the European Commission has been very, very firm on that. Um, so that's not going to change. So I think I would suspect that if we can get a reasonable arrangement and get these issues off the table, I would suspect that unionists would find it very hard to turn down, um, and that they would have to look what is in the best interest of Northern Ireland. And we've seen with the medicines issue, that's now mm. off the table. But do you believe uh, no, that no, it can no. be it can be done before the election, and that uh, the unionist parties would have to go to the electorate with their tail between their legs, as they might see it? Look, I mean, I'm I'm not going to force anyone into that corner. Um, what I would say is that the Commission and indeed the British government, to be fair to them, have gone to all sides of opinion in Northern Ireland to see what the issues are. The biggest issue. Uh, that unions have raised, and when I discussed it myself with some unionist politicians, mm. the biggest issue they have is this whole issue of customs. Uh, and if, the more we can reduce those checks on goods coming in uh, from uh, Britain to Northern Ireland, there's no checks the other way around, don't forget, um, I think the, the better, really. So I think that's what the Commission and, and, and the British government will be working on in the next few weeks. And I would hope uh, that if we can get a satisfactory resolution of that, that it will give good satisfaction to unionist concerns on this. And we can take the politics out of this because the, the one group that people listen to in Northern Ireland on this issue is the business community and the business community have taken politics out of it entirely. They're entirely focused on practical issues. Mm. And these are the issues that they have addressed. So this is the one issue that particularly retailers are affected by in terms of bringing goods in from Britain. This is the one issue that they'd like to see uh, some movement on. And I would hope uh, that in the talks between the Commission uh, and the British government that this will get movement on. And then if the business community are reasonably satisfied it would be very, very hard uh, for any politician to say uh, this shouldn't have happened. Mm, well, uh, when they're saying that they're not satisfied with the concessions that have already been made and they won't be satisfied until uh, the protocol is removed, uh, it's difficult from where I'm sitting uh, to see uh, a way of uh, making uh, them uh, be in a position of giving them the opportunity to save face. Well, it's always possible, I mean, to campaign to have the protocol removed. Because remember, the protocol is in place for four years. 
and then it has to be, you know, there's a vote again in Stormont. So undoubtedly in the Stormont elections, this will be a factor no matter what happens, because people will be saying, if you want it gone, uh, vote for us, we won't renew it when the time comes up. However, um, there is a majority currently in the Assembly to keep the protocol, and I I personally have no doubt that that will continue after the Assembly elections if you look at any of the opinion polls. That's that broad swathe of opinion uh, that I'm talking about. So, so look, that will probably happen, uh, but let's hope it happens in the context of a, of a protocol that's settled down uh, and a government that's still in place in Northern Ireland, because we all know that's absolutely essential for peace mm. and economic prosperity. Uh, and that can't happen if the unionists don't take their seats in Stormont. Uh, that's correct. Um, but let's hope that they adopt a pragmatic approach, which I think a lot of their voters, and I would say a good proportion of their voters, want them to do. Um, people who chase the extremes or the, the hardline solutions often find themselves competing with hardliners while there are other parties then in the middle, which we've seen in Northern Ireland in the past couple of years, expanding their vote because there is uh, that group in the middle that wants to see progress and wants to see people working together. And I think this is a big decision, of course, that union, unionism and particularly the DUP is going to have to take. Um, can they be confident? Can they be forward-looking? Can they accept that international agreements have been done? Can they be, can they accept as well uh, that nobody, nationalist or unionist, gets everything they want in Northern Ireland? Uh, and, and, and that's the whole basis of the Good Friday Agreement. Move on uh, and start you know, getting business in and claiming political credit for it as well and getting political reward for it in terms of increased seats because that those, those business expansions are starting to happen. But it appears that some politicians are fighting against it by saying that the protocol needs to go. So I think the public won't, ultimately will react very badly to that. Yeah, but they were willing to do that for three years last time Stormont collapsed. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that didn't bring any good to Northern Ireland whatsoever. And there were obviously a huge amount of intractable issues and there were unionists to blame and there were Sinn Féin to blame. Everybody Mm. played their part in that particular uh, debacle. Uh, Now there is, I, I would say, broad opinion there to get it going, to keep it going. And also we see parties that are, you know, if you look at the Alliance Party, look at the Ulster Unionist Party, who are, I would say, in the middle with different emphasis, uh, they've expanded their support base in the last number of years. And there's no doubt that's in reaction to some of the um, just say no politics, which is which is very, very destructive. Mm, OK, uh, but uh, if we find ourselves in that situation, you're going to start hearing calls for a border poll, aren't you? Well, we're already hearing calls for a border poll, um, but I suppose, so that's, that's going to happen. And the more each side, you know, goes down their own route, the less you make progress together. So we accept that unions want to be in the, in the United Kingdom. We accept that nationalists like, like me want to be in the United Ireland. But at the moment, we have a good Friday agreement. We have an assembly there. There are problems to be solved. There's economic development to be chasing after in Northern Ireland. And I think that's, mm. that's where the priority should lie. How, and also in terms of the island of Ireland, how do we best expand our, our working together? So we see that through the shared island unit that the Taoiseach has set up that is starting to deliver on projects that you and, you know, you rightly um, went after governments over the, the Narrow Water Bridge. That's now starting to be funded uh, and is going to happen. But there are other projects like that as well that are going to bring us closer together. And that's where we see the focus should be on uh, at the moment. Uh, and when you say you'd like to live in a, a United Ireland minister, what what what, what does that mean? Or, or, or when would you envisage it? When would you like to see a United Ireland? When would you like to see a border poll? Would you like to see a, a poll, uh, a referendum of sorts in the next number of years? Well, I don't think there should be a referendum in the next number of years. And make no mistake, if there was a referendum, I would certainly vote for United Ireland. Like that, there's absolutely no doubt about that. That's my political viewpoint. But I think at the moment, um, we don't need a referendum because, quite frankly, I don't think it would pass in Northern Ireland. I mean, all of the research shows that and would be entirely destructive. 
uh, and will actually set back United Ireland by many, many years. Um, what we've got to do, I think, is build trust with the unionist community. Mm. Um, if it, did, if it did pass, it probably would be destructive anyway, would it not? Uh, I, there'd be a lot of work to do, but I think mm. I think it would, it, it would be destru- it would probably be destructive before people went to vote. Uh, if yeah, it, that's the point. That's yeah. why the mm. Taoiseach has, has been emphasising the need for us all to start working together, doing joint projects, joint mm. educational institutions, working together, health, more health cooperation. These transport and tourism links are really, really important mm. to start bringing us together, meeting people as well. But it's not a question, sorry, Minister, I just want to understand it from your perspective. It's not a question of whether it would pass. It's a question, is it not, of whether it would pass safely and that there wouldn't be repercussions because of the idea of voting on such a, 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 a subject as uh, reuniting Ireland. No, I mean, the Good Friday Agreement is clear, like, and, and, and this, this is where part of the problem lies. I mean, the, the British Secretary of State has to be of the view that there would be a majority for United Ireland before they decide to hold a referendum. 50% plus one. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, but they have to decide that their view is there would be a majority. Now, I think there's nobody could argue that there is a majority within Northern Ireland for United Ireland at the moment. Um, so it would be pointless to have a referendum at the moment. And what wouldn't be pointless is to continue working together uh, to build up those links, particularly people-to-people links, because quite frankly, uh, there are, there's a nationalist culture in Northern Ireland and there's a unionist culture in Northern Ireland. And my observations are that they are very, very distinct. Mm. There's not enough of people working together. There are some, and there are some really, really good examples, but broadly there's not enough. And we need more working together. We need more reaching out from both sides, mm. more understanding each other's points of view. Um, and not just ramming any political ideology down anyone's throat. And if Sinn Féin um, end up the biggest party after the Stormont uh, elections in the North and end up in government in the South, what impact would that have on everything? Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't envisage them taking government in the South. We would be working to make sure uh, that we, we stay in office the next elections, not for another three years, and we're determined to deliver on the issues that are important, like health uh, and particularly housing. Um, Sinn Féin may, may come first in Northern Ireland elections. Um, that's democracy if they do. Um, but it's a very fragmented electoral system up there. There's a huge amount of parties and the nature of the government there is that everybody has to work together. And effectively, Sinn Féin and the DUP, when the government's been in power, have been jointly running the government. And we've seen better examples of that in, in the past and maybe in the recent past. Um, and I think, look, parties will have to work with that. But I think unionist parties who don't want that to happen will have to work out a political strategy uh, that ensures that they're representing people that have really drifted away from them because of the hardline approach they're taking on Brexit, because of the hardline approach they're taking on the protocol, which quite frankly is destructive uh, to the economy and social progress in Northern Ireland. Okay, Minister, we'll leave it there for the moment, but thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, that's uh, the Minister for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne, Fianna Fáil TD for Mid-East. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as uh, you've been hearing, uh, the government is uh, back uh, to work uh, this week. Uh, the three leaders are meeting today, a cabinet meeting tomorrow, and many important meetings taking place this week for that matter. Michael Brennan, political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post, joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Michael, and thank you indeed, as always, uh, for your time with us. And I, I take it that the meetings that would be held this week in relating to responding to the latest wave of coronavirus will set the scene, if you like, for the 12 months ahead. 
Yeah, that's right, Michael. Good morning to you. Uh, 2021 was uh, obviously a year of COVID-19 and the political response to it. And, and we're starting off this new year with the, the same story. And you can see at the moment the big focus basically is on schools, getting schools reopened on Thursday. But the, the government and the cabinet this week will have to look as well at, at, uh, at what NEFET recommends, if there's any further measures at the moment, it doesn't appear like we're going to see any radical changes, but as we know, a lot can change very quickly in, in, in the space of a few days. Mm. And there's so many people out of work for COVID-related reasons, either they have COVID or they're close contacts, and undoubtedly that will get worse in the coming days because uh, the impact of the numbers always tends to be a couple of weeks behind. Uh, so it's possible that the government will go ahead as planned and get the agreement of the unions even to go ahead as planned and reopen the schools on Thursday, but it's equally possible that there won't be teachers in classrooms when children arrive. Yeah, it's slightly concerning at the moment. I think a, a big problem that a lot of teachers have is that they're not hearing anything from the Department of Education about alternative strategies. You know, they know they're not allowed, for example, mix classes and, and put two classes into one if one teacher is out for, for infection control reasons. But we haven't seen any policy document from the department to to give them alternative options. You know, it seems to be focused very much on, on things substitute teachers. Mm. So, you know, that's something that, that maybe is badly needed considering the, I suppose, a very prompt response of, of the HSE and public health on, on, other, on other areas. Mm, it's a fine balancing act, isn't it? Uh, and not just in relation to the schools, it's across the board. Uh, we're hearing nurses calling for elective procedures uh, to be cancelled because so many nurses are, are, are out uh, at the moment. Uh, but people will be disappointed if uh, they have a, a serious operation, as is quite often the case with elective procedures cancelled on them. Uh, we hear that there's a thousand guards out at the moment. Uh, that's obviously got a, its own uh, reason for concern. Trains aren't running and so on and this could spread right across society so they're moving now it seems almost certain at this stage would you think Michael to reducing that time period of isolating from 10 days uh, for some people at least if not all people Yeah I I think there's definitely a push on to do that for the reasons outlined you know there's a lot of key public services that are in danger under the current rules Again, they'll need the sign-off and, and kind of backing of NEFET for, for that. But it does seem to be something that's happening internationally. And as you often see, every country is looking at each other uh, to try and find solutions. And, and so it's a, you know, it's a likely solution here. Okay. Well, I suppose when we get to the end of uh, this year, it's only then that we'll know if uh, we've won the battle against COVID or if we'll be having a similar conversation or the same conversation as the case may be. When we do get to the end of this year, though, we'll have a, a different Taoiseach. Yeah, that that is really the big political event of, of 2022. We've never seen that before, rotating Taoiseach. But uh, towards the end of December this year, Mial Martin is due to peacefully hand over power to Leo Radker and swap into his position as Taunashta. That, of course, is the plan. And we're going to have to wait and see, do all the Fianna Fáil backbenchers uh, support that? Or does somebody in the party decide that they want to mount a leadership challenge some, at some stage you know, towards, towards the end of, of 2022? That's very much an open question. No, no sign of it as yet. But, but again, it just can't be ruled out. Mm. 
Uh, it's not definite, I suppose, uh, that Fianna Fáil will honour the agreement, uh, or uh, is there any fear uh, that they'd pull the plug on government? I think deep down in Finnegal, there is obviously a, a, a little fear that they that they may they may renege and uh, and sort of stab them in the back. But I think overall, there's a feeling that this government is there to try and get to the end of its five-year term, purely as governments often find, because the alternative is worse. You know, Fianna Fáil to pull the plug and head into an election, it it may not turn out very well for them going on, on current trends. So the feeling is that they will honour the deal and that, and that Leo Radker will become Taoiseach. You know, I, I don't get too many mm. people believing anything else will happen. OK, and do you believe that Michal Martin will become the Taunashta? I, I, I have to say, Michael, w- one parallel that always sticks in my head is, is Eamon Gilmore as, as Labour leader and Taunashta in, in the 2011 government. You know, he was in a very strong position but then all of a sudden they, there was local elections, Labour had a disastrous result and and previously loyal allies of him moved against him and he, he, he resigned and Joan Burton took over as, as Labour leader in Tarsta. So to me that's a sign of how quickly the winds can change for you as, as, as Taoiseach or leader of your party and I think that's why Mial Martin will still have to be on very high alert this year. You know, he's, he's secure as it stands um, but if if there are some kind of negative political events, you know things can always change. So so it is. And the other thing that seems very certain, there are a lot of Fianna Fáil backbenchers who don't see him as the person to lead Fianna Fáil into the next election. So that that leads the question: Well, when when do you then transition as leader? And that's again where December is a crucial time for him. Okay, uh, we were just uh, talking to Minister Thomas Byrne uh, about uh, <laughs> political event uh, of uh, the last what is it six years uh, Brexit, uh, and indeed if uh, the question of uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol can be put to bed before the elections in the North in May, uh, do you believe that that will be possible, or do you think that there's a chance uh, that the DUP or other unionist parties will collapse dormant uh, as they're threatening to do at the moment? very uncertain uh, you, at the moment you have all the, the change in, in at the top level of the British government with the, with the change and departure of David Frost their Brexit negotiator and that is a big change in itself it, it's I suppose the big question of, of for 2022 is is not just the protocol I think it's it's very possible that may not be resolved until, until after the elections unfortunately it's always hard to agree compromises and deals when parties are going to the polls and, and are going to be putting out strong positions. But the, the wider question then is, what happens in those Northern Assembly elections in May? Do Sinn Féin get enough votes to emerge as the largest party as they think they will, and then take the position of, of First Minister for the first time ever? And what impact that would have on the DUP and unionism? Would they agree to it? So that that's a huge question, that even if Stormont survives until the elections are called in May, will it be, will power sharing resume if, if that's the electoral outcome? God, it's a, a scary prospect uh, if uh, they wouldn't uh, accept a, a first minister because of the political party, isn't it? Well, I, I talked to Mary Lou MacDonald, Sinn Féin leader, just before the Christmas break, and her point was, you know, that is the democratic system that unionists and nationalists signed up to, that whoever is the largest party assumes that office, and 
certainly if if that was to become a, a deal breaker then you know you're in you're in hugely difficult position because it's it's breaking with that agreement and if they did accept a Sinn Féin first minister, uh, that could very well influence Fianna Fáil thinking on whether they'd pull the plug or not on the current government uh, and uh, on Fine Gael, uh, because uh, it'd be quite likely, as things stand uh, at least, that Sinn Féin would be in the next Irish government, so they'd be in government both sides of the border. Yeah, that, that's been Sinn Féin's dream and political objective for a long time now, and uh, also the nightmare for, for a lot of unionists. So so that that would make things very interesting, but I, I think the government certainly here in the south are going to be looking to uh, to put off any election until until twenty twenty five if they can. I'm sure. What about grain politics? Uh, there's a, a lot to happen in the first few months of this year, is there not? There is, I suppose, the big the big issue for 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 the issue, the Green Party and the wider climate change issue is carbon budgets. You know, the Climate Change Act has been passed. We've had the the first the the details of climate action plan and indicative targets for different sectors, but now those will specifically have to be have to be laid out in in carbon budgets for agriculture, for transport, and so on. And that's going to be very difficult and and very contentious. And you'll you'll have to see the detail finally at, on 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 those fronts. Mm, okay, and people will be wondering: should they be getting an electric car, or a hybrid car, or will diesel? Uh, be better than petrol and so on, uh, let alone getting their homes insulated uh, and so forth uh, because uh, the cost of fuel may skyrocket. Housing itself will undoubtedly continue to be an issue this year. Yeah, I, at the moment there are about 30,000 homes you know, with, with construction commencement notices, so under construction, but you know that simply won't meet the demand. And Darrell Bryan, the housing minister, has been announcing a a whole slew of initiatives from a housing for all plan and you know the, the likelihood is they're going to take time to have an impact and in the meantime you have high rents you know shortage of homes for people to buy and rent and so therefore i think that's that's going to dominate through 2022 okay uh, do you think we're going to see cross-border shopping just as a, a, a by the way to finish off on uh, because we've had a, a lot of time spent talking about this today because of uh, the minimum minimum unit alcohol pricing and the impact that that could have on border trading not just those who are trading in alcohol yeah, I, I think it, it's always a risk, you know, when 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 there's an increase in in uh, you know in in taxes or levies on a product on one side of the border, not on the other. I suppose that the wider public health argument, though, is that we have a serious problem with uh, with alcohol abuse and and overconsumption, and this measure has seemingly been effective in Scotland in reducing uh, you know cheap alcohol buying among people who. Who just who who need to drink less of it? So I suppose that's that's the the wider benefit. But unfortunately, perhaps for people in 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 border counties and retailers, there you know they they may be hit by the impact of it. Okay, Michael. Listen, good to talk to you. Happy New Year, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the program uh, this morning. Michael Brennan is uh, the political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as Michael Brennan of uh, the Sunday Business Post was saying to us, the idea of minimum unit alcohol pricing is so that we all drink less uh, because uh, there's a real public health problem from overconsumption of alcohol. But on the other hand, as he said, it could have an impact on traders, particularly around the border. But not just that, according to Michael Inardi, who was on the phone, and 
Michael in RD says putting up the cost of alcohol will impact on the poorest people in this country. The richer people are, the better off they are and they'll be fine because they'll have the money to pay the extra cost. They'll be able to afford it. It'll make a major difference though to people who can't afford it and Michael says that's wrong. We're supposed to be a free country. We don't need people to tell us what to do. We should have free choice. What they are doing is penalising the less well off. You could have a pensioner who's afraid to go to the pub because of COVID who likes to have a jar or two at home and now they won't be able to afford it. It's just not fair and I am surprised that opposition parties are not kicking up over this, says Michael, in RD. Well, thank you indeed for your call. Indeed, I think a lot of people have been afraid to go to the pub. Obviously, from some of the calls we're getting, a lot of people weren't afraid to go to the pub because of COVID. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us about the pubs and indeed about COVID. Where will we be this time next year? Well, I suppose a lot of that depends on how this year pans out. I do think and I hope that we have more sustainable, adjustable strategies. And we've seen that in many Asian countries. Many Asian countries haven't fully locked down at any point during this pandemic, if I recall. Singapore at no point has closed its schools, um, kept universities and other things open and made the priorities in society uh, for what society needs to remain open, for example, like schools, and then training off where um, uh, physical distance, social, physical, or public health and social measures need to be more intense. So I, I do think we are not at the end of this pandemic. We're not even close. We have the tools, as Maria said, better tools than we've ever had before, thanks to science. We have a much better understanding about how to deal with this virus. Um, but what we've lacked is that collective will across countries and between countries to be really comprehensive and sustainable in the strategies. And I believe that populations and communities have become confused by all of the changing uh, guidance. Um, and uh, we've also had huge issues of trust, um, notwithstanding everything that Maria said about vaccine inequity, which is probably the most um, horrific injustice of 2021. I hope and I pray that that can be improved in, in 2022. That's Dr. Mike Ryan of uh, the World Health Organization. We might hear more from uh, Dr. Ryan before we finish up today. Thanks uh, to Grania and Drogheda who was on uh, the phone telling us that she's shocked and wondering if she's the only one who is shocked that the government is considering reducing the isolation period from 10 days to 5 days. Why are they thinking about this? Uh, she wants to know if we needed to isolate for 10 days, what's changed? Uh, why are we Reducing it to five, is the virus less serious now? Uh, thanks uh, for that, Grania. I think there's a, a lot of concern that you could have maybe 20, 30 percent of uh, the workforce out of work as a result of close contacts. Uh, Seamus says he's not surprised that the COVID figures are as high as they are. He was in a shopping centre in County Louth over the weekend and he says there were people walking around without any masks on. He raised it with the security guards who said they were told by management not to stop people coming into the centre if they weren't wearing a mask. Seamus says he, he doesn't feel safe and you should be able to feel safe. He says that although there were more people with masks than without masks, 
he, he was still uncomfortable and he won't be going back in. In another outlet that he went into, he says three out of the four sanitizer containers were empty. That's a complaint, uh, I think, uh, that we were getting uh, a lot of uh, a lot of complaints uh, along that lines uh, before Christmas. Uh, but uh, undoubtedly, from uh, what you're saying, uh, it hasn't changed. Tommy in touch with us too today and Tommy says he agrees with comments we heard earlier that it's only a matter of time before we all get COVID. Shady. Um, he says uh, there doesn't really seem to be a way of avoiding it. He's had family members who've stuck to the rules rigidly since the pandemic started and they stayed home as much as possible. They cut their social interactions and so on. Uh, but they still managed somehow to get COVID over the Christmas and their whole household got it. Everybody in the house got it. Uh, once it gets into a house, it seems uh, to spread to everyone, doesn't it? Uh, they were lucky in that they were not very ill with it, but even with all of the precautions that they were taking, uh, Tommy tells us uh, they fell victim to it. A, a trip to the shop seems just as likely to see you catch COVID as mixing with a large group of people does at the minute. It's everywhere, he says. Thanks indeed, uh, Tommy, for your call. Thanks for everybody who's been in touch with us so far today. We'll come back to some more of those comments later in the programme. But let's talk now about uh, the latest report from the Irish Business Against Litter, IBAL, which has looked at uh, the cleanliness or otherwise of some 40 areas in the country. And Drogheda is the dirtiest town in Ireland outside of Dublin. It's not a, a title that anybody would want, but that seems uh, to be the situation. Connor Horgan uh, of IBAL is on the line. Good morning to you, Connor, Connor and thank you Good indeed morning, for joining us. Uh, 39th out of 40. Uh, it's a pretty dire result for Drogheda, obviously. It is. I mean, overall, it's not a good result for Loud Mead in that, uh, as you say, we, we survey 40 towns. Um, all the Loud Mead representatives, Dundalk, Drogheda and Navin, were all in the bottom half. None of them had reached clean status. So that is a disappointment. But you're right, a standout is Drogheda for all the wrong reasons. And um, the Antashka report states that it was the lack of top-ranking sites that brought it down. Um, like I'm here in, uh, in NACE because I'll be presenting to NACE as the cleanest town uh, later this morning. And when I look at the NACE report, it's all grade A's. Really? Every site yeah. was a grade A. When I look at the Drogheda report, I see just two grade A's. That was Riverview and the River Walk at Willow Grove. All the others are grade C or D and some grade Bs as well. So it's quite a contrast. So you can understand why there's that uh, difference in the rankings. Okay, and I understand uh, from uh, the press release that the laneway at uh, Moneymore, the housing estate in Drogheda, was in a very poor state uh, with significant levels of large household items. That's right. That was a litter black spot. And, you know, the discarded items included children's toys and furniture. That paints a picture of really the local authority not being on top of things. I mean, you would imagine that doesn't happen overnight. And that's one of those sites that if it gets cleaned up, well, hopefully it can stay clean. It would certainly need the uh, local authority to keep a watchful eye on it. But it's not as if it's just made up of small pieces of litter. This is dumping, which is probably um, can probably be cut out. Um, they also mentioned that um, there, there was progress at the Bring facility at Trinity Car Park, but this was cancelled out by the very poor state of the facility at Ballsgrove Estates 
which was again a litter black spot, subject to dumping, sacks of rubbish, miscellaneous items, cardboard boxes. Um, mm. You know, we see that quite a lot with recycled centres, but it, it, it just needs to be managed better. And uh, I take it uh, that Drogheda was no different from pretty much the rest of uh, the country with face masks and PPE items being found here and there. Yes, I mean, um, there is mention of face masks being present in sites, and that is across the board. To give you an idea, you know, we surveyed several hundred sites over the last few months, and one third of them showed um, presence of PPE litter. So that's Mm. getting quite significant. And it's growing all the time because... You know, the litter drop, the PPE masks drop on the ground. People are reluctant to pick them up when they're other people's litter. So they stay on the ground and they accumulate. And that's exactly what's happening, not just in Ireland, but around the world, I'm led to believe. Okay, well, heavily littered Drogheda is at 39 on the list of 40. Navin and Dundalk doing a little bit better, uh, but still a lot of work to do in both of those towns. Navin at 26 and Dundalk at 28. Moderately littered. Yeah, I'm- Yes, I mean, and you'll be pleased to hear, Michael, that there was some movement at St. Patrick's Park, which we've spoken about before. It was no longer a litter black spot. It was heavily littered, but the uh, the Antashka report did credit that there was some improvement at the area, um, but it could easily slide into litter black spot status again. So let, let's keep an eye on that as well. Um, the recycle facility at the car park was heavily littered. Um, good sites as well, though the approach road from Slane, the Boreen Keel playground, a derelict house at St. Patrick's Terrace, they were all clean and we see lots of derelict uh, houses bringing litter in other areas. Navin Retail Park was clean and St. Patrick's Terrace itself was clean. Um, and in recent years, there has been a very definite litter presence in that area. Thankfully, not this time around. So, look, some mm. green shoots, if you will, in Navan. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure Mead County Council will be uh, very happy uh, to see that the work that they've done at St. Patrick's Park being recognised and undoubtedly uh, will try to improve on it further, as you say. Uh, Dundalk uh, has uh, traditionally been one of uh, the cleaner towns in uh, the country. It slipped down the league and it continues uh, to be moderately littered now at 28 and there's a few problem areas a recycling centre uh, once again causing problems Yeah the recycling facility at Tesco was heavily littered um, you know, Dundalk was in 20, 28th position this time around it was 27th last time so just not real movement there and that's because of too many heavily littered sites uh, the Carrick-Macross approach road was heavily littered, Wrightson's Lane and Brazzle Street, but by far the most heavily littered site was a miscellaneous waste ground behind a closed bank on the N53. Not sure where that is, but not just casually littered, but subject to dumping and neglect. Um, clean sites included Willow Grove and Church Street and um, the N52 approach, as well as Peace Garden. So, you know, it's a mix, but n- not enough clean sites is the, is the problem for Dundalk. Okay, well... Uh, hopefully next time round uh, uh, the three towns uh, that are measured locally uh, will see some improvement uh, but there's obviously a, a lot of work to be done uh, and that's work uh, that can be done by the local authorities, uh, the two county councils uh, in uh, that case uh, but also by all of us as well I imagine Connor. we can all play a role in this. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Drogheda is, I don't want to say it's a case study, but I think I mentioned before, Michael, it's highly unusual, if not unique, that a town that was vying for top honours only a few years ago 
should suddenly find itself towards the bottom of the league. We haven't had that before. Tends to be the reverse, where towns languish at the bottom and then they come good and hopefully stay good. So it's just a little perplexing to, 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 um, to see Dohada's lowly position. Okay, Connor, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Connor Horgan is uh, the IBAL representative. Uh, that's the Irish Business Against Litter Group. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Olga Bacon joins us from Trim Garda Station for this week's report. And good morning to you and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. We're going to begin uh, with uh, some very tragic news and indeed uh, a fatal road traffic incident uh, that I'm sure people will be very much aware of on New Year's Eve uh, and uh, you're hoping that somebody can give some information about this. Yes, Michael. Gardaí attended the scene of a fatal road traffic collision involving two cars and this occurred on the N32 in, at Lloyd's in Cowles County Mead at approximately 4.15 on New Year's Eve. And three people have unfortunately lost their lives following this collision. We're appealing for any witnesses to this collision to come forward and also any road users who are travelling in and around the area at the time and who may have camera footage, including Dashcam. We're asking them to make this footage available to Gardaí at Kells Garda Station. And you can contact us at 046-928-0820 or the Garda Confidential Line and their number is 1800-666-111 or indeed... Any guard the station will take the information from you. Okay. Uh, I'm sure people uh, will uh, come forward if they do have any information and let's hope that yes, is the case. Uh, we'll go to Dundalk uh, where a burglary occurred on St. Stephen's Day. That's right. So Dundalk are the investigating a burglary which occurred at a house at Oaklands on St. Alphonse's Road on St. Stephen's Day. This happened in the hour of the darkness so between 8 and 8.45pm Again, if you're in the area and notice anything suspicious, if you could please contact Gardaí at Dundalk Gardaí Station on 042-9388-400. Another burglary again in Dundalk. Uh, This happened on uh, the following day, the 27th. It did on Monday the 27th, and again in the early evening. We're investigating this burglary. It happened uh, at a home on Castle Street. The occupant returned home and disturbed the intruders, so obviously very frightening for the occupants of the house. Again, if you're in the area and notice anything suspicious, you could contact Gardaí at Dundalk, and again, that number is 042-9388-400. We've an assault to report on next. This happened on St. Stephen's Day as well, uh, and it occurred in Balrath Woods. Yes, Gardaí at Navin are investigating a serious assault, which happened on St. Stephen's Day at Balrath Woods. A man in his 40s was in his car when he was approached by two males who then assaulted him. So this happened sometime between 8 and 8.45pm. This man was seriously injured during this assault. If you have any information or you were in the area at the time and you believe you can help the investigation, you're asked to contact Gardaí at Navangarda Station on 046-903-6100 or again the Garda Confidential Line on 1800-666-111. 
Now to an arrest uh, that uh, occurred yesterday evening uh, I think there was a, a lot of talk about this at Mullery in County Louth That's right, so Gardaí at Drogheda Station are investigating an incident which occurred last night around 7pm A man was arrested on suspicion of possessing an offensive weapon and is currently detained at Drogheda Station so our colleagues at Drogheda are continuing with this investigation Okay, well, we go into the new year after some people getting uh, some Christmas presents, bicycles and uh, the like, and uh, some uh, advice uh, for those people in terms of security and making sure that they hold on to them, I suppose. Absolutely. So we know how good Santa's been to some boys and girls, and there's a lot of new bikes around. So we want the grown-ups to help the boys and girls this time around. So we want the grown-ups to take a note of the serial numbers that's on a bike, take a photograph of the bike, if you can mark the bike or arrange to get it marked with your air code and make sure you lock it up. Make sure it's in a shed at night or in a garage and if you are out and about that you have a lock and lock it to something secure so that for all the good work that all these boys and girls have done and Santa has been so good to them that we can keep these bikes with the rightful owners. Okay, thank you indeed. Garda Olga Bacon of uh, Trim Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on uh, next Tuesday's programme. Now let's uh, finish off uh, with some more of your comments. Paddy is in Atboy and he wants uh, to wish uh, the government a happy new year and to thank them for increasing the price of food, fuel, heating and pretty much everything else in recent months. How on earth would we manage without them there to look after us and to keep our needs and and interests safe, says Paddy in Athboy. I think uh, that uh, perhaps he has his tongue stuck firmly in his cheek when making that comment. I'm sure government as well would say that there are other pressures uh, that are, are leading uh, to price increases and indeed to inflation. Uh, and it's something that's happening on a global level. And not only that, uh, don't forget that uh, we're all to get €100 Euro off our electricity bills this month. Uh, we'll be getting the details of that uh, I'm sure in the coming days. Margaret says, I don't think the price rise on alcohol will stop people drinking. They'll just go north. I think it's a revenue raiser that will benefit the UK much more than it will here. And then we'll be told that people are not drinking as much. This is really shooting yourself in the foot, she says. Thanks uh, for sharing that with us, Margaret. Uh, Somebody else in touch. This is John in Drogheda who says they're advising people, families that is, not to mix, yet schools are reopening and how many different families are in each class. Uh, He can't make sense of that, I take it. Thanks, John, for sending us your text today. Uh, Paddy Duffy texting us too. He says uh, the DUP are a spent force, mainly by their own hand. They single-handedly have done more for uh, United Ireland since 2016 than any other group. Fair play to them, says Paddy. I don't think they'll appreciate that, Paddy. Uh, But uh, I'm sure that there's some members listening to us uh, in uh, around uh, the border region this morning. But thank you indeed for your text, as always. Good to hear from you too, and good to hear from everybody who has been in touch with us today, our first day back. And that's it for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.